0: Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, personal growth and development, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, humanities professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. All right, welcome, everyone, and I am so glad you are here today. I have an incredible guest today. His name is Eric Allen. He's a host of a top-rated MMA podcast and The Eric Allen Show. He just brings an incredible story of perseverance and overcoming things. You know, I as you know, I don't do lots of uh, guest appearances, but I'm so drawn to people like Eric, Uh There's this thing and and this hero journey that that young, Carl Young and Joseph Campbell talk about of, of where people start in a spot. Then all of a sudden something happens. Sometimes they make a choice or sometimes it's just life happens to them or it's forced upon them. They fall into some deep chasm or some problem that they're forced to overcome. And and then through whatever means they are able to come out of that. And that's such a powerful story. And I don't think we get enough of that out there in the media today. We, We get a lot of the negative tear people down but Eric just brings one of these stories that is so powerful so Eric I just want to welcome you and say thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show today
1: oh thank you so much it's such an honor to be here David really appreciate the the amazing intro there awesome thank you so much man really appreciate it
0: yeah so so Eric let's just jump right into it let's not yeah what mess around with a lot of extra time but how about you just tell us a little bit about yourself and and maybe even just jump right into your story and and let's just go from there
1: yeah you got it yeah so I mean I grew up in in eastern Washington typical household went to Sunday school played little league (laughs) my dad would take my best friend Dave and I literally throw us in dumpsters behind stores and say go find treasure (laughs) like that was a typical Saturday morning you know Right. And my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old. I'd never even heard that word before. Never had any friends experience that before. So it was kind of a shocker to me that my parents were deciding to split up. My mom gets wow. together with a guy who was very physically abusive almost immediately. And mm. I thought it was weird that she stayed with him because my dad was not physically abusive. Uh, you know, he had issues, but it wasn't physical abuse or anything like that. But so I thought it was strange. And then the thing was, is he continued to do this. And so I would call the police. They would come out. My mom wouldn't press charges. And then it would just happen again. So it was just very strange. So they ended up getting pregnant. And and then in the middle of my eighth grade year, they said, hey, we're going to move from eastern Washington to Stevensville, Montana. It's population 1,200 people. They oh rented this house uh, that was on five acres. It was beautiful. Two ponds right by the Bitterroot River. You know, lots of beautiful, you know, acreage. And right. they rented this house, and the house had three bedrooms. It was one for them, one for my brother, who was just a few months old at the time, and then one for my sister. And they said, Eric, you get to live in the garage. So I literally had this half of the garage, wow. black tarp at the end of my bed that separated my bed from the truck that pulled in. Now, I did have a fireplace on my half of the garage that kept me semi-warm during the winters when it would get down to negative degrees in Montana. So it was kind of an interesting oh, you know, household. And the abuse, not to me personally, but to my mom, continued. It even got worse because we were further away from police, probably 30 minutes from a police to be able to arrive at my house if I needed them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was 13 years old, brushed my teeth. One night they came home arguing wasn't anything different than any other night. But something in my heart was like, dude, you got to turn around. You got to see what's going on. And so the way the house was set up was I, I was brushing my teeth. I turned around to the kitchen, to the pantry, to the garage door where my room was at. And so as I turned around, I saw him on top of my mom in that pantry area, just boom, 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 shot after one, after shot after the other puncher in the face. And so I walked up behind him. I grabbed a cast iron pan out of the cupboard and I swung as hard as I could to the back of his head and I split it open and he turned around it didn't knock him out. And he said, what? And as he did that, I took another swing and split his forehead open and I swung so hard. The second time I'd actually fallen over, didn't knock him out. He was so drunk. He stands up over me. He's bleeding down his face. My mom jumps up, punched him like six times in a row, blood splatting on the wall. Cops finally oh show goodness. up. You know, they take him to jail for the night. Of course, my mom doesn't press charges. And I was actually kicked out of the house at that point. I had three months left of my freshman year of high school. Mm. So I bounced around from friends' houses on their floors for the next three months. And that set me down this path of destruction for the next 10 years of my life.
0: Unbelievable. Wow. So while this was going on, I mean, externally to the world, did any was, was you just keeping that all up inside? I mean, nobody really knew like your friends or, or anything or, or how, do, how did you deal with that? Because, I mean, as you mentioned, you were almost baseball, apple pie, Americana when you were young. And then yeah. to be exposed to that. All yeah. of a sudden, it had to be <laughs>
1: incredibly traumatic. It was, you know, and my best friend, Dave, who I met in first grade, still my best friend today. So 36, seven years now, we've known each other. His family is so wonderful. I spent a lot of time at their house. Anytime that I could escape to their house, I would. And they knew what was going on. So they were like, hey, you come over, you know, and so they're kind of my, my, my second set of parents there. And, and um, they were really the only ones that knew what was going on. So I, I kept everything right. inside. No, none of my other friends really knew what was going on. You know, of course, the neighbors across the street did and things like that. But other than that, it wasn't something that I was like going around the school saying. Right. Right.
0: So so this happens. You're bouncing around. Uh, did you graduate? high? Did you make it through high school and then move on? Or, or, or how did the story continue after you're basically room? How, and by the way, before we even go there, how yeah. did your mom deal with that? I mean, was your, was she just so in control of this guy at this point that she just literally couldn't see perspective properly or what was, what
1: was going on there? Yeah. I don't know the mindset behind it. It was, it was yeah. very strange. Um, you know, to have me kicked out, you know, I remember there'd be times where we're eating dinner and I would stand up for myself. I'd say something if he was trying to, you know, say something mean or rotten right. or something like that. Right. And I would like, get kicked or pinched under the table for my mom because I was, you know, mm-hmm. trying to stand up, you know. Sure. And so, yeah, I don't know what the mindset was there. And, and you know, I, yeah. I, I get that a lot of women or men, when they get in these physical abusive relationships, it's tough for them to get out. I don't, I don't know why, but that's something that they, you know, end up doing. And my mom was with him for probably another, oh, five or six years after that, after, I, after my freshman right. year. Uh, but what ended up happening was I went back to live with my dad in Washington. Okay. And so, what he did was he rented a house for him and I. That was close enough to the high school that I'd be going to. So I could jump on a public transit bus and get to school. Mm. And he'd put 20 bucks in the cup uh, in the kitchen there for my lunch money for the week. He'd put hunger man meals in the freezer, cereal milk in the house. And then he would go stay with his girlfriend. So I would see my dad a couple of times a month in passing. basically had the house to myself at 14 years old Mm. and no accountability, no adult supervision or anything like that. And I started hanging out with guys that were good friends of mine. But we also started smoking pot early, like before school, during school, after mm. school. Like and then we we're getting into acid and mushrooms and, you know, whatever we could get our hands on and barely graduated high school. I got a two point eight GPA right. or something like that. Right. So uh, but when I was 18 years old, I had a bong, which was illegal in the state of Washington in 1998. Mm-hmm. And I got arrested and I had to go to jail and I had a black and white chain gang outfit on bright orange slippers. You know, scary for me. One hundred forty five pounds oh, going to a jail you know, and then I'm in this like open cell with probably 12 or 13 other guys that are in there for much more, <laughs> Yeah, they crimes, that up right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, goodness. so yeah, it was crazy. I got out. Uh, it was in another County. So I actually was still a senior in high school. I just wrote a note to my dad. Hey, I'm staying at Danny's house. I'll be back tomorrow. He had no idea. Go up to jail, come back the next day. Didn't tell my dad or anyone in my family, for probably 10 years, but, uh, So I was on probation for a year where I couldn't smoke any pot. I was going to get drug tested. What that did was enhance my drinking skills. And so I started drinking heavily. And then two weeks after I graduated high school, I woke up to a note on the mirror in the bathroom that said, you can't comply with house rules. You have 48 hours to get out. So at that point I'm like, well, crap, I got to figure out this life real quick. And so between the ages of 18 and 21, I moved 21 times. I lived on different couches or second cousins here, or, you know, friends of a second cousin for three days. And then, you know, all over the place. And I had a hundred dollars in my pocket. I had an opportunity to move to Seattle when I was 20 years old. And so I did. I moved out to Seattle with a hundred bucks, my pocket, again, sleeping on floors, trying to get through life and figure out how I can get going. Still drinking, got into the music business and led this rock star lifestyle for two years. Uh-huh. Right. So I went to probably 175 concerts over a two year span and I don't know how to play anything. I just wanted to be in the music business and I, you know, lucked out and got an internship with universal records and you know, that opened the doors. But yeah. So then, you know, I was living off credit cards that whole time. So by the time I'm 21, I'm $28,000 in debt and I had to file bankruptcy. And so Hmm. it's back down to zero, you know? And uh, yeah, so I didn't turn my life around until I was 24 years old in 2004.
0: Wow. So, so you're now in that formative, that college age range yeah. window. Even as you were doing all these, the alcohol, you were doing the drinking and this, oh, by the way, you graduated with a higher GPA than me. And I ended up earning a doctor. I had a 2.2. Okay. <laughs> nice. I, nice. I, yeah. I tell my students that all the time. It doesn't matter where you start out. It's always where you end up. But Totally. But, but yeah. yeah. So, uh, So did you know during that time that, Man, I'm just not doing the right thing. Or were you so consumed and just, th- did you not even like realize yet that this isn't the way I want my life to end out? Or were you just all wrapped up in it?
1: I think I was wrapped up in it. I never even thought like, you know, I, I think at an early age in my high school and early, early 20s, I just thought, hey, life is just going to be a party and, you know, you only live once and go live it out and it as much as you is. can. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, there was this moment though when I was at Universal Records. And I was 21, 22-ish, somewhere in there. And I was at a concert one night. And I remember seeing this other rep that worked for a different record label. And she was in her probably mid-30s, not Mm -hmm. old at any cost. I'm 41 now, so I'm much older than that. But at that moment, I remember seeing her going, I don't want to be her age and still going out to concerts four or five, six nights a week. I want to have a family. And it was this weird thing that I remember very specifically. Like, man, I'm going down this path that's kind of, like, not going to have me, not allow me to have that family if I want one. So I need to try to figure out my life here. I'm going down this circle of wow. nothing, you know.
0: And and that just came from you. You didn't have any outside influence. Like, so you just had this inclination then. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because so many people, when they change, they need something. Usually, it's a, a motivator. There's an external force. There's an
1: external. Totally. Uh,
0: but but through in the middle of that lifestyle to do that, that's that's a really remarkable, remarkable thing. So, yeah. So so here you are. So you find that you hit a spot where, you know, OK, so I got to th- this isn't going to work for this is not a long term career right. <laughs> thing. This, this isn't what I want to be. So what functionally or, or, or what steps or, or what did you do that started to make the change for
1: you? You know, I think that, uh, you know, and, and I'm a believer in Christ and, and uh, but I, I think at that moment, God was kind of working on my heart and saying, man, you got to try to figure this out. And I, again, I had, I wasn't saved. I wasn't going to church or anything like that. I just had this inclination that, you know what, God's maybe leading me down this other path. Because about three months later, right. it was my one year anniversary at Universal Records and I got laid off. This was during the days hmm. of Napster and okay. Napster killed the music industry. It literally like halved that our crazy. office in half. And it was, it was just wild. So I was depressed. I was working at Starbucks at night. I was a night manager. So I'd get off work. I'd go to the grocery store, grab a six-pack of beer, go to Hollywood Video, and you know rent me a video, and go to my ghetto right. apartment. And I would just drink myself to sleep every night. Mm. And one night, this girl walked into Starbucks, and she said, hey, we've got this cool college-age event down at our church. Would you be interested in going? I had no friends. I was depressed and she was really good looking. Absolutely. What time (laughs) do I need to be there? Trifecta. Yeah, totally. Right. So I said, what time do I need to be there? So I got down there and it was like all of a sudden, all these guys that I knew from high school and from the other side of the state were like, Eric, like I hadn't seen him in five years, man. I haven't seen you in seven years. There's this weird kind of connection, you know, and I went down there to, you know, help set up and tear down and go to this event. It was really cool. About a month later, it was Easter, 2004. And I was managing a band at the time. We went out and we played a concert the night before Easter down in Prosser, Washington, small town. And I woke up on Easter morning, you know, half hungover and surrounded by a bunch of guys in my buddy's basement. And it was about five o'clock in the morning. And I felt in that moment that God for me personally said, man, you're going down this path that's going to end your life very quickly and you need to make a change. So I decided in that moment to give my life to Christ. And I quit cold turkey, drugs, drinking cigarettes, everything in that moment. And I called that girl up. And I got her voicemail and I said, hey, happy Easter. You know, maybe I'll see you at the store sometime. And a month later, we're dating. Now we've been married for almost 17 years.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) I'm a Christian myself. So these stories are are really fascinating for me. One one of the things I lament right now is the state of Christianity in general. It just seems it's going down. Just people are just going away from it in droves, especially in the Western world. And stories like that. You can't deny a story like that. It was, I mean, it wasn't just the thought, it was right. immediately the change in action. Yeah. And that's tangible and that's real. And that's yeah. that's just right there. So so I suppose then all your friends and the people you did know that really were <laughs> really were your the people you were hanging around that weren't Christian or or whatever. So how did that yeah. impact your life from from that spot right there, I'm, I'm sure it, my guess is it probably profound change about everything because when you become a Christian, that old way has to die away so yeah. that the new way can, can come forward. So, so t- can you talk a little bit about that part of it?
1: Yeah. I had to have a tough conversation with my buddies It, it and not yeah. necessarily tough, but it was a little bit awkward at first going, Hey guys, for me personally, I got it. Some problems I got to, I got to deal with. I can't mentally go out to the bar. I can't mentally be around alcohol or drugs anymore. I got to get help myself. I got to figure out this and get sober. And all of my like, dude, you got to do you, you you know, take care of yourself. We totally get it. And those guys are still my friends today, which is really cool. But I, yeah. what I did was I took about six months off from going to the bar, going to hanging out with anybody except for those that were in the church. I wanted to soak up everything that I could about Christianity, about drawing close to God, about being, you know, a a good husband, I started almost interviewing people without interviewing people. So I found people in the church that were successful with their walking with Christ. They were successful in their business, successful in their marriage. And I just said, hey, can we go out to coffee? I just want to hear your story. And I want to, you know, figure out, like, how did you get out of that? What did you do? And what are you doing today to keep going on that routine? And it was amazing. I started soaking up books. I was reading books like crazy. I was like reading a book a week. I'd never read books before, I did this for probably, you know, two months straight. I was just reading books, how to draw close to God, you know, and just everything that I could to soak up that life. And that was a huge impact on me. It really set this, this, the tone and the foundation for me moving forward of just really soaking that up. And, you know, my, my now wife is, is such an amazing person. You know, she came from the broken home as well. Not crazy as, as mine, but different crazy, you know. Right. And so right. we kind of when we got married, it was like, all right, we know what we don't want to have in marriage, mm. but we also kind of brought some junk into it, you know. Sure. So, like for me, sure. I came in like being defensive because I was always blamed for things and I had to work through that. Right. Yeah, you know, I went to therapy for a little bit after we got married, but we took the first five years to just be us. We didn't have kids. We went and traveled. Nice. We went down to Mexico uh, two different times to go build homes. Like we just wanted to give back and get to know each other and kind of build that foundation and realize, okay, now we know what we've got. We've kind of worked through the yuck and we still have ups and downs, right? Like they're as a typical sure. married couple, right? But right. Um, we decided that, you know what? When we said I do, that's forever. Whatever the, the, the we want to change the legacy that, our, that we leave for our kids. So our kids will never have to experience. The childhood that, that we had, and so that's what we're, our our main focus is on.
0: Wow! So, so in that time frame, and yeah. and during this knowledge, I'll call it a knowledge acquisition phase. Sure. So, you're, so you're in the middle, <laughs> and I think it's odd you did exactly not just reading. I mean, reading's one of the most powerful things you can ever do for your brain. You can literally yeah. have mental conversations with some of the smartest people that have ever walked the planet earth all by yourself and learn that way but you also sought out mentors which is is key you know with my college students I always say if you're broke don't go to broke people for financial advice yes (laughs) find out people who know how to do it that's and and so that's such a big thing but even in the middle did you ever have those stumbling blocks like like they are, were you so on fire? You know, you hear the story, like yeah. people get so on fire for when they become Christian that there's yeah. just no stopping them. It's, a, it's an amazing
1: thing. I really didn't have any desires to go back to that lifestyle yeah. or anything like that. It was, you know, what this is, this is new. And, and I, I got, I spent 10 years in yuck and now right. I'm ready to make a change.
0: Yeah. You know, I get that question sometimes. Some people who are not Christian will say, oh that's got to be the most boring horrible awful way it's just <laughs> totally. you torture yourself it's like it's actually there's more freedom in that yeah than anything totally because you know i had a period in my life i was kind of an atheist I, yeah I I, I I was raised in the church but i walked away for a period of time and i came back and i'm kind of like you it's like i wouldn't that's not fun. I as I look back on that period of time when I was really screwed up, not yeah. it's like uh, that's not the kind of fun that I ever want to have anymore. So,
1: totally. Yep. So,
0: so you're getting all that straight. You have a do you have kids? By the way, do you now have children?
1: Yeah, our kids are eleven and eight. Man. Okay. And okay. Yeah. Very yeah.
0: cool. Very yep. cool. So, so you got all that in order, but. You know, what, what was the next step for you? When, once you got the foundation laid and they, they always yeah. say in Christianity, you got to the cornerstones, you got to get the cornerstone strong yep. and then you build your house up from that point forward. So, so, so what were some of the next things that you, that you took on?
1: You know, we, I've always been in sales. So I always wanted mm-hmm. to be that provider for my wife. And so, you know, about six months into my wife's pregnancy with our daughter, she was able to come home and be a full-time mom. Like that was, that nice. was, that was her goal. And she's been home ever since. And so uh, that was a goal of mine to be able to provide that for her. Of course, when my wife was seven, seven months pregnant, I got laid off from my job. And I literally like was like, crap, I have a mortgage that's $2,300 a month. How am I going to do this and keep my wife home and things like that? And right. so I was, for six months straight, I was going to, I went back to work at Starbucks and I was working from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning. And then I'd come off, uh, get off work. I'd go sleep for two hours. And then mm. I'd go to Trader Joe's and work from 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. Oh, every night. My. And I so I did that six days a week. I had Sundays off. So I was splitting five hours of sleep, three hours at night and two hours during the day. And I did that for six months. Straight. I only saw my wife on Saturday because I was getting into bed when she was already asleep or I was getting up when she was already mm. asleep. And so that was a, that was a tough transition. But I finally got a job that got me out of that situation. And we were able to get back there. You know, but we decided in 2014 that we wanted to change, too. So, you know, we lived in western Washington, out in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. We said, hey, you know what? We're going to start a new legacy. And We moved out to Idaho. Uh, oh, we, wow. We uh, were out. We moved down to Nampa, Idaho, down by Boise. And it was really cool. It was kind of farmland. The problem was, is where I grew up in eastern Washington, it's very deserty and not a lot mm-hmm. of water. You know, uh, there's the river, but that's about it. It's real brown. Well, right. when we moved down to Nampa, we realized that we moved to the that, we called Tri-Cities where I grew up. So we kind of moved to the Tri-Cities of Idaho. And I was like, what? Like, we're in the same spot. <laughs> like, didn't even like change much, right? <laughs> and so we were there for two years. And, I, and then I ended up working for a startup that allowed me to work from home in 2015. And I said, all right, babe, where do you want to go? And mm-hmm. so we uh, we did the 13-hour U-Haul trip up here to North Idaho. So we're in quarterline about about 100 miles from Canada now. And, oh, and we've been goodness. here since... Uh, uh, 2016 and, and we love it we're three miles from the lake and there's mu- mountains and fishing and hunting and all of that stuff around us and, nice yeah. so we're Very we're, nice. we're kind of in our small little paradise
0: yeah yeah i grew up in really small town iowa i mean okay when you said that 1200 person town i mean i'm pretty darn that's what that's kind of yeah. what i now <laughs> i'm down in. i've been lived in tampa now for over a decade but okay and lived in indianapolis for a while but but yeah, I, I know having that wide open space around is a is something that you you just can't appreciate in, until you're out in it. That's for sure. Yeah, so that, that's very cool. So yeah. You know, Eric, I wanted to talk to you because as I was looking looking at some of your stuff. MMA. Yeah. yeah. Seems like that's kind of a big now. Did did you ever were you ever participate or have you just always been like a, a fan? Because I know I I mean looking at your podcast, you got big. Some big, some big names on your on your podcast
1: there. Yeah, so, I've been, been blessed to speak some good, nice people. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so what is it with MMA? I mean, it's it's such a fascinating and it it's such a growing sport. What what was it with that with that niche that that really drew you in there?
1: So my dad would always get pay per views of Mike Tyson boxing as a kid. So I remember watching you know boxing all the time. Mm -hmm. And then my dad was also, he would take me to to WWF events, wrestling events, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man. Oh, sure. I remember those days. All those guys, right? And he would take me to the local wrestling regional scene. And that's where we actually saw Jake the Snake and Dusty Rose as a kid on the regional scene. You know, it's just crazy. So I've always been involved in like combat sports, just been a huge fan. My dad would rent movies that had no English and they were just straight ninja movies for like two hours, all these (laughs) ninjas. So I always like... Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I think I was a ninja for Halloween for like 15 years straight, you know, like just like always involved in it. And then when the ultimate fighter came out originally, I was like, Whoa, I was hooked. Like, this is a new thing. I love it. I want to, you know, a big fan for a while. And then 2012, I actually approached my wife and I said, Hey, I want to get involved in MMA, but from a a sales perspective, like I I wasn't like participating. I wasn't, but I'm a big fan. This is during the days of tap out. I said, how do we get Mm. involved? Right. And so we said, let's start an apparel company. And my wife came up with a name called Top Rated MMA.
0: Okay. And we made a
1: lot of bad business mistakes. We went out and <laughs> bought a bunch. I did, not my wife. I went out and bought a bunch of uh, inventory that didn't sell. We kind of t- like when we first launched, it took off really fast, but then it just was like short lived. And so uh-huh. nobody really wanted to buy all this stuff. I think I donated like 70 shirts or something like that like that to Hurricane Katrina of victims Mm -hmm. through this organization one time. But basically, I was just running the business hoping that it was going to take off one day. And I wasn't really doing anything with it. I mean, I went out and bought screen printing machines to try to print my own stuff. 2015, I got bored with it, wasn't making money. I literally put an ad in Craigslist and said, who wants to buy this company? I'll sell Mm it to you for a couple grand. One guy called me up and offered me a couple grand for it. But in that call, I made a decision that, I was not ready to quit on this yet. And yeah. so I said, no, I'm not going to sell it. So I took the next year to kind of figure out what I was going to do. I was kind of basically running the business on its own, wasn't doing much with it, and then decided, hey, you know what? I want to talk to fighters. I want to ask them, why do they want to get it in a cage to get punched in the face? right so started the top rated MMA podcast i had no idea what i was doing bad lighting bad camera bad microphone. <laughs> like i was in a walk-in closet for almost my first right. 100 episodes you know right right you know, i look back at my early shows i'm like ooh, that's really bad i'd never put that out you know like but it's it's i i knew what i wanted to do is i just wanted to talk to these fighters and understand why do you want to get in the cage and i've heard everything from i was in karate to wrestling and transition to mma to guys who are like do I have a federal fence and I can't get a real job, but I can go put food on the table by fighting somebody and I can Mm -hmm. get paid to do that. And so that's why they do that. And it's just fascinating to me about people's stories of why they want to do that. And so, humbly now considered the number one MMA podcast out here in the Northwest. Very
0: congratulations. That's amazing.
1: Thank you. That's yeah, we're great. ranked in, of course, according to listennotes.com, we're ranked in the top two and a half percent of podcasts globally. Um,
0: Impressive. And
1: so, yeah, we're, we're, we're continuing to push that, and, and I release that show every Saturday. Nice, nice. So, before we, uh, I have some more questions
0: on, yeah, on the pot on the MMA scene, but I have a lot of students, they're in class, they, they don't really want to necessarily be in college. They want to do their, they have things that they have passions about, but they're yeah. not quite sure, you know, they want to take the safe route because college is always considered the safe thing to do, right? That's <laughs> sure. what you're supposed to do after you finish high school. But, yeah. you know, from all that early entrepreneurial, because obviously you have it in you, you've, you've succeeded at it at a very high level. What are some things you think, if you had someone, if you have one of my students in front of you, for example, yeah. right now, who had this idea that, you know, I love fashion, or I love this sport, or I love th- whatever it might be, and they want to pursue that. What, what are some tips that you could give someone like that? Because, I mean, you, you've lived it, not in a textbook, but you, you've actually done it. So
1: Yeah. Uh, two things. One, you have to go surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So if you're passionate about fashion or if you're passionate about you know um, podcasting or whatnot, go find people locally and online. That are doing that successfully, and go introduce yourself. Get mm-hmm. uncomfortable to get comfortable, right? So, right. a big like virtual mentor of mine is Ed Milet. He actually was the inspiration for my other podcast. But Ed right. Milet talks about guys who walk around at eighty-five degrees. They need to go walk around guys and hang out with guys that are walking around at one eighty-five because just being in their mm. presence, they're going to lift you up. They're going to promote you. They're going to help you out. They're going to guide you, and they're going to lift your temperature uh, just by being in their presence. So, one. Like go hang around people that are doing what you want to be doing. And then two, right. get uncomfortable doing it, go to local events. Like I go to a thing up here once a month called the fireside chats. It's a bunch of entrepreneurs and every single month they have someone new in there. They have different crowds. Cause there's so many people moving in. I go there by myself not really knowing anybody except for the host. And I just love to go there and connect with new people. So I put myself in situations where I can network with people. And I think if you want to be successful in life at all with whatever you're passionate about, go do those type of things.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I know that there's a fear factor just stepping out. There's, totally. there's no doubt because, yep. I mean, even when I started this podcast, I cannot listen to those first steps. They're just, and even now, I, I just hate to listen to myself. I I still, it's like, yeah. oh, I could have done this better. I could have said this better. I could have. But but at some point, you just got to jump off the cliff. Totally. And you just got to do it because yep. if you have a passion to do something, you you just got to, and you're going to screw up and sound silly or do make them buy something you shouldn't buy in the totally. business. I mean, you're just good, You're <laughs> going to do it. If, if it was so easy, everybody would always do that. So, yep. so very cool. But you know, based on your podcast and all these big names you've had on there, I think it's, I think it's important. And for people to understand, like, do you see like connecting things that make them success? I mean, everybody has a different story. Like you say, everybody yep. has a unique journey, Yep. But but what is it? Do you think from all these interviews that you've been doing with highly successful people? And I mean, watching them, those guys are beasts. I mean, yeah. they their their diet must be off the chart, their <laughs> physical workout regimen, and just their ability to to take pain and mm. and to overcome. I mean that that is not the normal human being, right? And so, do you see things as you talk to all these people that like unite them, or is there somebody that stands out like oh my i mean that's just so off the charts i I still can't even fathom that's a real story
1: yeah it's you know the the successful fighters that i've had on the show you know i've had ken shamrock on twice and and you know i've I've talked with him about his business efforts and things like that but these really successful guys that i have on the show and gals uh, because i have female fighters as well but and most of those fighters that I have on the show are up and coming fighters and I, some bigger names. But the thing that I see through all of them is they have this no quit attitude. They know what their goal is and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. So if that means waking up at four a.m. six days a week like I do, like they get up and they do that. If they that means that they can't go out to the bar with their buddies because they got to go train for an upcoming fight, they do it. They set that goal and they take immediate action and they don't let any distractions come in. And really, that's that that one thing I think we see through any of the fighters or entrepreneurs I've had on my show is they have that no-quit attitude. They know that there's going to be days where they don't feel like going to work out, but they're going to keep going anyways because if they don't do it, they're going to be really mad at themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there, what was maybe the most dynamic or the most incredible interview you had on all those hundreds of plus podcasts? Who Who's the, who's the person, the guy or the woman that just like, kind of wowed you, like, this is just unbelievable.
1: I mean, you you look at Ken Shamrock. That guy has done so much in combat sports, from wrestling to, you know, uh, to MMA, and he's been a Hall of Fame for the WF and and Hall of Fame of UFC. The guy's story of when he started out, like, he came from, basically, he was an orphan. He was raised by a guy, um, you know, Mr. Shamrock, and, and basically, like, started out really early age being very angry. So he would like elementary school kid like fighting. And he even got stabbed when he was in elementary school, like crazy stuff. Wow. I mean, nutty, nutty stuff. Battle addiction, lived in cars, like crazy, crazy guy. And then now here he is. He's, he's got uh, a very successful bare knuckle boxing promotion called valor bare knuckle and where he's transitioned that. But I love his ideas and his concept about like the MMA glove. It's a four ounce glove. What's, Safer four ounce glove boxing or bare knuckle, and his concept around that and ideas around bare knuckle is actually way safer in his eyes. Right? Really? I mean, it, it looks bloodier, it looks worse, but right. he said you're not going to take as many hits if they're bare knuckle versus a four ounce glove. You could punch 400 times in a in a. You might take 400 headshots in a in a fight if you're got a four ounce glove on. But if you're bare knuckle, that fight you might take maybe 100, maybe. And, and, oh you know, yeah, because
0: striking diameter would be yeah. larger maybe even less.
1: It might take you one punch and get knocked out, you know? So I love his story of where he came from, what he's got now and what he's really continuing to do. And he's a believer now as well. And, you know, he, he, his story and his testimony is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You know that every once in a while, and I I talked to a guy who started a pod, his goal was to just be financially independent. That was Mm. his, and his wife, they got married. Their, their goal is to be, and he said he never even had cable TV for the first ten years of his life because they were so focused on getting ahead. And it's like that just cannot be—you never in your life for ten years ever watch TV. <laughs> so it's like when you yep. hear these these people that achieve at at incredibly high levels, it, it's just amazing some of the things that some of the things they go through. So, yeah, so, I've had
1: cable for fifteen plus years.
0: You haven't. Yeah.
1: And and I don't watch the news. That's the one thing. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't watch any news. I I turned the news off about five years ago and it was the best thing I ever did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and that, that part I've done, but you know, there's football and there's basketball and there's like sports that I, (laughs) I'm too addicted to get rid of the, the, the the local channels, but (laughs) But, yeah, yeah, getting rid of the news, I mean, that's almost a no-brainer because news isn't news anymore. But that's a whole other podcast topic. Totally. We, don't need, we totally. don't need to necessarily go into that one today. <laughs> totally, but. totally. So, so with your connection with MMA, you mentioned yeah. some of the things that, uh, that that your one guest thought should happen. Where, where do you see this going? Because, I mean, you know, you see these huge pay-per-view matches yeah. I mean, that are just raking in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. But underneath that, I assume there's an entire industry way bigger than just, you know, the Conor McGregor fight that, totally. that just showed up there. So where, where do you see where do you see someone so connected to this? Where do you see that going?
1: I think MMA is going to continue to get bigger and bigger. I think it's going to be I mean, it's it, pretty much now if you're in. If you're a fan of combat sports at all, you probably know what the UFC is. You probably have watched fights, right? It's going to continue to grow. Their deal with ESPN now is blowing it up to, you know, more homes in the U S and things like that. So it's more accessible for people to watch. I think as fighters, hopefully we'll continue to see fighter pay increase. That's a big like complaint from a lot of fighters in the UFC is like, Hey, I don't get paid enough. And then you see guys like Logan and Jake Paul, and they go out and they have two boxing matches, and then they fight and they make thirty million dollars. And it's like, whoa, right. dude! Like UFC guys are making. I think the the lowest guy on the totem pole. If you're a new fighter to the UFC, you might make ten or twelve thousand uh, mm. for your initial fight. But where right. people don't realize is probably fifty percent of that goes to coaches and training and gyms and all that stuff, right? So the fighter ends up walking away to like, all right, I got my house payment for the month, right? I mean, right. it's like, there's just not a lot of money that is shared with fighters. I think you see the top maybe 10, 15 fighters uh, in each de- weight division, they're making pretty decent money, right? They're, right? they're full-time fighters. They can make probably quarter million dollars a year or more or million dollars plus if you're in top five. And then you've got these guys that are just trying to pay the bills, right? You know, And so they're right. out there maybe making 20, maybe 30,000 per fight if you're fighting three times a year. And then you're paying half of that away to trainers and stuff like that. It's tough.
0: Yeah. Is that about how much they can fight a year, three to four times a year, usually based on how hard it's already. Yeah. It te-
1: it depends. Most training camps are 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. So if they can get a full training camp in, you you know, every 12 weeks they can, they can go out and fight. But then you got guys like, you know, one of my favorite fighters, Donald Cerrone, he's fighting like, I think he fought six times in a year, you know, uh, a couple of years back. And that guy's just always game. Like, Hey, if, I'm feeling good after the fight. Let's sign another contract immediately. Like, you know, and so I, I love his, you know, mentality of just getting in there and, and, you know, paying bills and things like that. He's definitely one of my favorite fighters.
0: Right. Very cool. So, so do you see yourself, I mean, are you trying to branch out beyond MMA, or is MMA like your, have you found your passion and that's Mm. where you're, where where you want to be or or what, what are you kind of looking at beyond that?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to keep going with top rated MMA for a while. I don't know. I haven't set a number of end the end show date. We're going to see where it goes. And as long as I, you know, continue to have passion about it, which I do, I love just hearing fighter stories. But yeah, I mean, I I have branched out. In 2018, I came across a guy at Ed Mylett online. Never Mm -hmm. heard of him before, and was like, oh my gosh, like who is this guy? Like he's speaking directly to me. I was like, and then in 2019, I actually won the Ed Mylett Max Out Challenge that he issued to his one million followers on Instagram. So I got a phone call with him. It was supposed to be 20 minutes. It turned into 30 minutes and I'd launched my other show called. It originally started called the bearded biz. And my wife being the smart one said, yeah, it's probably niching down too much. So we just changed the Eric Allen show, but, uh, right,
0: right.
1: Been blessed to speak with guys like Ed Mylett and Bradley and Bedris Koulian and Tim story, Eric LeGrand, mm-hmm. Jim, the rookie Morris a couple of times. And, you know, just that show is really focused on entrepreneurs, world changers mm-hmm. and success minded people. Yeah. and, very similar to the MMA side where I ask fighters, why do you want to get punched in the face? I ask the same question to the entrepreneurs, hopefully not physically, but they go through it. They get no's, <laughs> they get rejected. They get shut down all the time. They fail, oh, yeah. they get bankrupt. But why do you keep going? And so I right. love those stories. And so, yeah, I'm about 115 episodes in on that show. So that show drops every Friday as well. So I do two podcasts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I had a, I had a former student of mine contact me and they had dropped out of college and they were going to pursue their own thing. Yeah. And it wasn't going well. Okay. They were getting punched in the face. Yeah. And, you know, the question was, do you think I'd need to probably go back to college? And I said, well, not if you want to be an entrepreneur, probably because no college professor is going to teach you, except if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to talk, like you had said earlier, talk to people who are successful in it. That's, yeah. where, you're, that's where you're going to, you know, a textbook isn't going to get it done. You need to you need to hear real live, real stories from people. So that that's a cool little niche to branch off from your really successful thing. That's that's awesome. So, well, I want to I want to ask you one question. And sure. So let's say you had to talk to your twenty year old self. You have to go all the way now. Where you're at, you've you've been through all kinds of stuff from youth all the way through. What kind of advice would you give? your twenty year old self looking back on all the things that you've been through and now the success that you're
1: at. I would say quit partying and go hang out with the guys that are being successful in life and in business and marriage at that time. Don't waste yeah. 10 years of your life walking away from that. That was a big thing for me was, you know, if I look back and I go, Man, if I started like really seeking entrepreneurial like people in my early twenties, I'd be a lot different spot that I am now today. But right. I, ne- I don't have any regrets of where I'm at today. It gave me that struggle. It made me the person that I am today. But I think if I go back and say, hey, man, wake up, slap myself in the face, like quit yeah. going out and partying 10 nights a week, you know, like you yeah. got to go out and go like drop that and go find people that are, are successful in business and go hang around with those guys and m- invest in yourself like at that time. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that that would be the one thing that I would go back and say to myself.
0: Very cool. Yeah. I, I so appreciate that. Sometimes you'll hear, you hear a lot from Hollywood stars. Do you have any regrets? Oh no, I have no regrets about anything that I've ever done. And <laughs> it's like, that's just the biggest load of BS ever. Totally. totally. I, I mean, everybody has stuff that they, <laughs> that they really wish they wouldn't have done or they yep. really would have made a little, yes, of course it, it helps shape who you're going to be in the future. But at the same time, I mean, we all make bonehead stupid decisions that's just that's just the the reality there and that along that you know even for those that are now midlife, mid-career mid-whatever and they're just they're stuck in that rat race they're stuck and and they feel that thing whatever that thing is that they know they need to do and they may have even known it for years but they just don't do it whatever Mm. that it might be if you were coaching them, what, what what kind of things would you tell them that, to, to, to get going, to get up and get going and do something? Uh,
1: one, I, so I still work a full-time job, which I'm not a full-time entrepreneur yet, but it's definitely a, a goal of mine. But uh, I, right. I the reason that I do that is because it pays the bills. And right. as, a, as an entrepreneur, and I'm slowly building up my business and slowly building up the opportunity. So you know, I'm 41 now. So I'm saying if you want to go and make changes in your career... Or if you want to finally pursue that thing that you've been passionate about your whole life, you have to set aside time to do it. And that's why I wake up at 4 a.m. six days a week. I get up and if I open my eyes, there's win number one. I jump out of bed and make my bed. There's two wins in 15 seconds. It's going to be an amazing day. And we have to have that mentality right when we wake up. And so then I get up and I created a vision wall. My, my, my vision is too big for a vision board. So I've created a vision wall in my office. So I've got, I've got an entire wall of my office of quotes of pictures of my family. I've got, you know, the property that I want. I've got everything. And I speak out loud to that every single morning. I go through every quote, every picture on there. And I speak to that. And I'm like, man, you know, this is, and I say, I am like, I am a millionaire. I have the proud proud owner of 20 acres and my dream house sits in the middle of those 20 acres, right? Like the one thing that I have on there that people always laugh about when they walk in my office is it's this cartoon picture. And it says, if my neighbors are too close, or it says, if I can't pee off my front porch, my neighbors are too close. (laughs) That's the thing. Like I want that property, not just to be selfish and say, I own this property, but I want that legacy of my family to be able to visit this escape from life like right. property. Right. And so I go through that, get a vision board, like vision wall, do what it takes to, to get that mind right. First thing in the morning. Yes. Yeah. Sleep sucks sometimes, right? Like if I stay up too late, but here's the thing, my desire to be successful is bigger than my desire to sleep. So if I can get right. up and I can make that stuff happen on a daily basis, like I go through the visual wall, I've got some affirmations and I kick on worship music and I spend time in prayer and I read the word and that really helps sets that tone for the day but do what you got to do to fight for that passion. You know, deep down, if you're sitting there at the office job, you're like, man, this is not what I was created to do. Go pursue that. Find ways to do it. Make time for that. And I'd say, I think, and give it like, be patient with it. Don't expect like, as soon as I start, Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire right off the bat. You know, it just doesn't happen that way. People that you see that are very successful, they put in 10, 20, 15 years into putting that before they even got known, you know? And so I think you just, if, if you're, passionate about something, go do it. Hang around those that are already doing it. Find people that are, are, that are involved in that and go do what they're doing. Success leaves clues, right? So if you can find those clues and continue to put that in your life, your life will be 100% better than, you know, what you thought that you had.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I actually, um, I just read uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, uh, a while oh, back wow. and he talks so much about morning ritual Mm. even all the way back to Benjamin Franklin. And he was another one born poor, very poor. He, his education ended at third or fourth grade. And so he's self-educated by reading yeah. and he, and he talks so significantly about morning ritual, morning ritual. You got to start the day, right? You got to start the day, right? And I mean, that was, you know, hundred plus years ago and, and it still resonates. Yep. It still resonates so true. So, so that is, that's awesome. So, so Eric, Tell my audience where they can follow you, how they can get in touch with you, all all that good stuff.
1: I'm big on Instagram. So just Eric G. Allen. It's E-R-I-K G. Allen. If they want to follow me there, that's really where I post a lot of content. I do have Facebook pages, Eric Allen Media as well, and then Twitter and then the YouTube channel. That's where I post all of our shows go up there. So all my podcasts go video and audio. So Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all that fun stuff. And so they can see the video of that as well. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the biggest place that I love to connect with people is Instagram. I respond to every mm-hmm. comment and I respond to every DM.
0: Wow. Very nice. Very nice. So, so Eric, I just want to say, you know, when I choose guests and I see your story, it's an amazing story. And I so appreciate you taking the time to come on here and and talk about it because people, there's a lot of people out there hurting. There's a lot of people that nobody has any clue the stuff they're going through out there. Yeah. And just a story like yours of of where you came from, there's not a whole lot of people that have basically had to raise themselves from such a young age and end up where you're at. Sadly, you know, I've been a foster parent for, for many years and, wow. and your story is an exception. It's sadly not the rule. So I appreciate you so much taking the time to come on
1: the show today absolutely absolutely and you're a hero i mean you you're a world changer oh. right there being a foster parent man so oh. uh, it's honor to be here man such yeah. an honor to be here
0: yeah well good deal so so again thank you everybody for listening in today and eric uh wish you all the best and we'll be watching what you're doing next so thank you thank you thank you for listening to the podcast today i so hope you found value in the topic today you know every single day, if we can expand our perspective just a little bit on any range of topic, whether it be about our physical body, intellectual sharpness and perspective, or spiritual growth, then if we stay consistent in the long run, we all become more well-rounded people able to cope with all manner of events in life. I always appreciate you clicking like or follow to this podcast generally a new episode is published every single week and please if you have any questions or comments I would love to hear about them with that I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week until we talk again